Well, Job and his three buddies had been talking about God. They'd been griping about God. They'd been arguing about God. They had been speaking on God's behalf. And this goes on for pages and pages in the book of Job, doesn't it? And then all of a sudden, guess who's been right there in the room with them all the time these conversations have been going on? God himself has been there listening to all these misrepresentations of him, all these uh, caricatures of him, uh, all these uh, uh, misconstruings of him. And then he speaks. And uh, there's one line that he says that really stuck with me. Who is this that darkens counsel? Now, to darken counsel means to uh, either uh, uh, hinder an understanding of something or to kind of lead people down a rabbit trail on something that doesn't, isn't really pertinent uh, to distract someone from what's really going on. And it also uh, means just to speak out of ignorance like you know what in the world you're talking about. And God is talking in this case, he's talking about those who are darkening, those who are clouding his ways, his plans, his purposes, and what he is all about. People have been speaking on his behalf who had no idea what they were talking about. They were darkening counsel. I remember laying in a holding area one time waiting for a surgical procedure, and it was just an area where they had areas curtained off, and I was in one area, and there was another group of people in the next one, and I was just laying there, and these people were talking like they didn't know anybody else was around. And uh, they started talking about uh, how so-and-so had died. And then one of them just brought up, you think he went to heaven? And uh, there's kind of a pregnant pause in the conversation there as people were concerned because apparently this guy was, anyway, I'm, it didn't, it's like they had their doubts, but they were hoping that he made it. You know, that's kind of where, what was going on. But then they went off into this thing, kind of like Job and his friends in speculating on who gets to go to heaven, who doesn't. Like uh, one guy said, well, you know, I don't guess I've been in church in like 20 years, but this is what I think. And uh, he started speculating about how he thought that everybody got to go to heaven, but there's like these different levels of heaven and it was all the sort of stuff that you hear people talking about whenever they've had a couple of beers or something. They just start talking about God. You know, I mean, it just didn't make any sense, really. It, it had no grounding in Scripture. But they all went all over the place on this stuff. And I heard just about every folk religion concept of things like that that you could hear of. And it just reminded me, of how far from God some people are that will even call themselves Christian. And uh, 
And this kind of shows how that happens because you see, there are people today who are still darkening counsel. They are speaking on behalf of God when they don't even know what in the world they're talking about. And so uh, I'd just like to lift several things uh, out of this particular passage today. And uh, the thing is, you God responded, who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Uh, a more formal definition of darkens counsel is to confuse an issue by introducing irrelevant or ill-founded considerations. And in, these, in this instance, these four men have been talking about God and what he's been doing and not doing and how Job messed up to bring this all about and God was right in responding that way or wrong in responding that way. And as God answers, he's basically saying, what do you know about me and my doings at all? How can you presume to even talk about me, let alone, let alone gripe about me? And uh, you know, as I read this, I, and I started thinking of all these people that will talk about God and do all these things, and they'll try to educate other people religiously when they have no connection with God whatsoever. And I just remembered the what Jesus said when he said, before you start trying to take the speck out of your brother's eye, you need to get the beam out of your own eye. And said, then after you get the beam out of your eye, then you can see clearly to help the other person get the speck out of theirs. We need to be hesitant in talking like we know all about God or we know the scripture or we know what God means by it unless we really do. There's so many people that just go off on these, these things and they speculate about God and then they share their speculation as fact. Later on, we see, and, and the thing is, they need to get right with God first. You see, this is what I'm getting at. They have a plank in their eye, but they don't even know it. And uh, this is the problem. I read something somewhere where it said that uh, as long as you know, your uh, ignorance is invincible. And I thought that was just a good phrase, you know, because as long as you think you know something, nobody's going to make it clear that you don't know anything. And so this is what's what we're getting at. There's so many people that do this today and they harm other people. This is what's really bad. Jesus talked about uh, the, he, he told he condemned the scribes and the Pharisees for looking all over to get one proselyte. And whenever they got a new disciple, they made him a worse child of hell than they were. That's the way he put it. So whenever they were darkening counsel and they were going out and recruiting people to mislead, one of the main messages that come out of this is that there's a difference in knowing some things about God and knowing the Lord. There are a lot of people that know just enough of the Bible to be dangerous, dangerous in the eternal sense. And they want to argue and they want to do all these sorts of things when 
Eternal things are at hand and are on the line. And so we need to all be sure that we don't get caught up in darkening counsel and misleading people, thinking we know what we're talking about. And the most important way to make sure we don't do that is comes right out of Job. We need to know the Lord. At the end of Job, we see him come to realization. And he said, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. He had known about God. And some of what he had known about God was true. And some of it wasn't. And there was a whole big area that was totally unknown to everybody. And he realized that he should not have even opened his mouth. He said, I didn't know what I was talking about. And I didn't know who I was talking about. In the past, I knew about you, Lord. But now I have met you. You know, I've out of curiosity last night, I Googled my full name and I learned a lot about myself. And you know, some of it was so wrong. I mean, I had wrong telephone numbers in there. Uh, it had me related to other preachers. It was very confusing because I have lived in at least, they had records of me living in seven different places. The thing is, there are a lot of other preachers had shared these seven different places because preachers, we move from parsonage to parsonage. And so they had me related to preacher friends of mine and their wives. And you know, it was just all mixed up and totally confused. But there was enough truth in there to make it kind of scary. But that's just it. See, you can you could learn something about me, but it wasn't going to be really learning who I am. You guys here, you know more about me because you actually know me. You can speak fairly authoritatively about me because you have met me. You know my demeanor. You know my heart. And so you would be good representatives of me. But those people who just learn about me from the internet, that's another thing. You see, they can know about me, but not know me. The same with you. You probably found yourself misconstrued and misrepresented. But the thing is, he says, now I have met you. And there are a lot of people today who are darkening counsel when it comes to the Christian faith. And like Job, they really have no idea what or who they're talking about. There was a wise old housekeeper that once told a young minister, you can't preach about something you ain't lived any more than you can come back from somewhere you ain't never been before. And that is profound. And that's the way it is with the things of God. Just think about it. If you haven't been saved, how can you really talk about salvation? You can only talk about it in a theoretical or maybe even a critical sense. If you haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit, how can you really have an opinion about it? 
except to decide whether I really want to seek that or I want to avoid it like the plague. You see, there's, there's, there's some things you can't speak authoritatively about unless you have experienced them, unless you've been in the middle of it. If you haven't experienced repentance and the wonderful forgiveness that can come from God when you truly repent, how can you tell others about it? And yet there are people uh, in the church today trying to tell us Christians uh, that Christianity is outdated and needs to uh, get with the times uh, on the issues of uh, salvation and sexuality and morality and more. And uh, these are people who are darkening counsel. And I can't fault them too much because they have received darkened counsel from others. I just remembered this morning, one of the most popular Bible studies in the United Methodist Church is one called Disciple Bible, Disciple Bible Study. And it is just right from the pit of hell. I'll tell you why. It's because they use historical, the historical critical method in order to study the Bible. The historical critical method is whenever you approach the Bible like it is literature from a secular viewpoint. And so they approach it from the standpoint that uh, you would approach any other secular document and you take secular assumptions to it, like there are no miracles, uh, there's no such thing as prophecy, and uh, no such thing as, as healing or anything like that. And so, uh, first of all, since there's no prophecy, Isaiah had to be written by three different people instead of just being written by Isaiah, uh, because he foretells things that are going to happen. And so this had to be hap happened long after Isaiah lived. And so they just get it all mixed up. And then they say, you know, Jesus couldn't really have known that the temple was going to be destroyed in 70 years. So this had to be written 70 years after Jesus was gone and then added in. And yet in the Gospel of Matthew, where he talks about that, they have found fragments of the Gospel of Matthew that were written 30 years after his passing, which is long before the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And so you see, they are uh, uh, just, uh, they, they take all faith from the Bible and they don't accept the fact that the gospels were written by either eyewitness, eyewitnesses to it, to what was happening, or gathered from eyewitnesses like the Gospel of Luke. And so these people wind up being uh, put in a spot where they see the Bible just as another book and to be handled just like another book instead of being the Word of God. That is the way a lot of darkened counsel has been spread through the United Methodist Church and brought it to the point to where it is today on the brink of this being split up. Darkened counsel steers away from and casts confusion around God's will and God's plan. And we do need to make sure that if we have been guilty of being involved in this, we repent 
and come out of it. We need to make sure. Now then, one of the reasons why people get pulled into this is because they're afraid the church is going to die if it maintains the standards that God has set for it. And they think that if we quit calling sin, sin, and uh, move, uh, that more people will start coming to church. They don't care whether they're saved or not. They just want them to come and give their money. Is that a real reason? You know, I've had to go through this so many times, whatever people are just wanting to, we've got to get more members in church. No, we've got to get more believers in the kingdom. If you do that, then they will find the right church. Now, if you have a church full of unsaved sinners, how can you call it a church? How can it be the body of Christ when it is denying the necessity of the cross of Christ? You can't. Now, one of the main messages from the book of Job is this. Knowing about the Lord, like I said earlier, and knowing the Lord are very different things. Job admitted he'd known about him, but he hadn't really known him. And once he met him, his perspective toward everything changed totally. Now, I can remember before I met the Lord, I would sing hymns in church and they would just be words. And I would be gravitate more toward the, the, the tunes than I would toward the words. After I met him, all of a sudden the words to the old uh, hymns like, and he walks with me and talks with me and tells me I am his own. All of a sudden, I was singing about a shared experience, something that I shared with other believers around the world and through the ages that I had totally missed and just thought everybody was playing like the emperor's new clothes where the little boy uh, finally says, hey, the emperor doesn't have any clothes on. And everybody else was saying, oh, yeah. I thought that everybody was just pretending that they were saved, pretending that they, they knew what these songs were about, but really didn't know because I didn't know. But once I came, to, I met him, I realized there were many, many other people who knew him. And these hymns reflect the heart of a believer. And so uh, that all that changed the experience of daily living with him in his presence is just such a wonderful thing. People want to think that Christianity is a dry and formal and even condemning thing. But when you come to know him and begin to understand what he meant when he said, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly, uh, all of a sudden, it becomes real. You know, um, I've told y'all in the past how whenever I first felt the presence of the Lord in my life, the acceptance and the love that I felt was just like whenever a child goes to their grandparents' house and their love just for being them. You'll notice a kid just cops an attitude whenever they go in their grandparents' house. But something else hit me this past week and that is being a Christian, being one who walks with the Lord and knows the Lord is just so much more fun. And life is so much more thrilling. 
And uh, uh, the best parallel that I could find about that was how many of you ever saw the movie Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid? If you've seen that movie, let me see your hand. Okay. Okay. Well, do you remember the jump scene? If you remember the jump scene, let's see your hand. That was major. Oh, man. Here they are. They are trapped. They're up against uh, the side of a cliff, hundreds of feet down to a, a violently flowing river down there. And these guys are coming at them and they're going to be there. If they stay there, they're going to die. There's no way they can shoot their way out of this one. And so uh, Butch talks Sundance into jumping. Now, it, you discover that Sundance can't swim. And he, so he winds up jumping anyway because he's been talked into it by Butch. That's excitement, isn't it? And they survived. To me, that's like in living every day with the Lord. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm like Sundance. I'm the one that's always saying, you know, I can't do that. And the Lord says, it's the only thing that you can do, you know. And so I wind up jumping. I wind up doing it. And you know what? It works out well. And I'm shocked. And, uh, so this is, but that's me every day. It's an exciting life. It's not dull. It's not some sort of a fuddy-duddy existence. It's exciting every moment. Uh, so I uh, just want to want to want to tell you that uh, uh, knowing Him is a fantastic thing. One day I tell you, I was with a youth group in Texarkana. And a young man about 12 years old came by while I was sitting there. We were at a bowling alley. This young man who is not a part of our youth group came by and he just singled me out and walked up to me and said, hello, sir. Uh, we're from uh, the church without walls and we're just out today telling people about Jesus. Have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And I said, you know, I have. And his face just lit up. And he said, ain't he good? Now, that young man knew the Lord. That's just, that's the way we all should feel when we talk about him. He is so good. Whenever we sing that song, God is so good. It's the truth. He is so good. At the beginning, he's making offerings for his children. On behalf of his children, he has, I think it's seven sons and they have these parties every week. Anyway, every, once the, they, they would have lunch at each other's house or, or then once they, the circuit had been completed, Job would offer an offering on behalf of his kids saying, perhaps they may have messed up and I need to get things right for them. Now, I want you to notice this. He didn't really know the Lord. He knew about him. And what he was offering was not a sacrifice of love, but a bribe. He was trying to buy God off. God, if I do this, then you do this. You watch after my kids. And how many of us, when we give, we're really bribing God 
instead of worshiping him from our substance, giving out of love to the one, gifts of love to the one that we love. Listen to this. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Depart from me, you sinners. Yes, you've done stuff in my name, but you did it not knowing me. You were representing me when you couldn't represent me. You didn't know me. I don't know you, but you can. There are two times that I accidentally evoked a confession from a preacher. Uh, One was one time when we were a bunch of preachers talking. There's a legend in the Texas conference about a, a preacher who was serving a church like this, and he decided that this church should be redone. That actually, they should build a new church. And the people were resisting. They loved their building. They didn't want to do that. And then there's a wasp nest on the side of the building. And he took, back a long time ago, we'd take newspapers, put on bamboo poles, and then we would uh, uh, light it on fire and then burn the wasp nest off. Any of y'all ever seen that done? Yeah. Well, he did that, just maintaining the church. Caught the church on fire and burned it to the ground. And everybody thought that he did it just to get his new church building. Well, as I was sharing this story, there's a voice from over here in this circle of preachers as I was sharing this urban legend among preachers said, that would be me. (laughs) He said, I thought that I'd live this down one of these days, but it looks like it's going to be with me forever. And uh, then the other one was whenever there was a, pastor that was uh, coming through and he just wanted to see how the church was doing and I took him into our church and in that particular church there were there was a story of a preacher in the past that had just laid himself on the altar and uh, nobody knew why he was doing that and so I, I said you know you know it's a beautiful altar up there and you know one time some preacher way back when uh, they, they tell me laid himself on the altar for some reason. The priest said, that would be me. And it turns out that what it was, was everybody kept telling him he wanted to get close to the Lord. And he was just, he wasn't, he just didn't feel like he was close enough to the Lord. Everybody was telling him, you've got to give it all to him. He said, I just kept on trying to give it all to him. Finally, I didn't know what else to do. So I just laid down on the altar table and said, here I am, Lord. I don't know what else to give. Now, the thing about it is, knowing this man and the way he was even saying all this, his concept of giving it all to the Lord was all external. And he was trying to do, he even became a preacher because he was searching. He wanted something. He gave his time. He gave his work. He gave his life. But you see, it never dawned on him that what the Lord wanted was his heart. And that man hadn't come to know the Lord yet, even after struggling and working for him because he hadn't let his heart be open to him. The Lord says, if you seek me with everything you do, no, if you seek me with all your heart, you will ever surely find me. We have that promise. And so if you haven't come to know him, I encourage you 
just seek him with your heart. Open your heart, your very being, the deepest part of the stuff that drives you in life. Open that up to him and he'll come in and you will know him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.